God bless all of you that are here for our adult Sunday school class. As you well know, we have classes going on in all, for all ages at this time. This is the adult class. And uh, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for our time together, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to be in the house of God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask you to bless all of our other Sunday school classes that are in session at this time. We ask you to bless all of our churches all over the world. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. God bless you. And you may be seated. And uh, before I get, and we do have handouts today, but before I get into that, I want to make some reference here <clears throat> this morning to uh, our last week's lesson because it's going to tie in with today's lesson as well. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to be talking to you here today about some things that's very interesting. I'm going to uh, talk to you about a timeline here, show you a little bit in a minute. But I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Now, we talked about this last week, and I'll just refer to it very briefly, very briefly. 2.13, and uh, this is 1 Thessalonians. Remember, we've been in, we've been in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is the book that we're studying at this time. And uh, it is the first epistle that Paul wrote whenever he started writing epistles. And he was the apostle to the Gentile. Wrote, he wrote uh, 18 of the books in the Bible or the letters as we call them, epistles. Look at the 15th verse. Uh, and this is what Paul was referring to about the Jews. Now, we're not picking on the Jews, but I'm just telling you here what's in prophecy. And this is where... Uh, Paul prophesied of the destruction that would happen to to Israel before it happened. Now, this book was written around early 50s A.D., 50, not 150, not 1950, 50, just 50, just 50 years after Christ's birth. And uh, this was written early on, and uh, the Jews were not, overtaken until 70 it was 20 years ahead of time so paul referred to this let me just read it to you here who both killed the uh, who both killed speaking of the jews here who both killed this is uh 2 uh, 15 of first thessalonians you don't have it on any notes or anything it's just maybe on the board here thank you it says who both killed the, uh, the lord jesus and their prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now, this was Paul's prophecy concerning the wrath that would come upon the Jews. I have a reason for telling you all of this. This is going to tie in with our lesson today. And then Jesus also spoke about the destruction of the Jews in Jerusalem and the temple and so forth. And uh, in Luke uh, 21, he, uh, he finalizes or wraps up the end of the 23rd verse. I'm going to read verse 24. He wraps up the 23rd verse by saying that great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, speaking of the Jews, Verse 24, and they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive. 
into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. Now, Jesus was prophesying this before it ever happened. Of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And Jesus' prophecy here was like 30 years before uh, the, that before, uh, before it actually happened. And uh, so I'm just trying to give you a heads up here. Now, this was all prophesied. One other uh, note of, before I get into my thought here about this is one that's found in Daniel. The, the angel Gabriel came to Daniel way back 500 years before and told him that there would be a destruction of the Jews. And he said this, and this I'm reading verse 926, very common prophecy. And this is what the Gabriel angel said to Daniel. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's Jesus should be killed. But not for himself. In other words, he would die for the people. And the people of the prince that shall come. Now look at this. The, prince, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. He's speaking of after Jesus now. Jesus will have been killed, cut off, that is, killed. Of course, we know that he rose again. It doesn't mention that here. But he goes on to say that the prince of the people, now the prince of the people was Titus, who came with the Roman army in 70 A.D., 70 A.D., uh, 40 years after Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified around 30, 30 uh, A.D. And, uh, and, then, and then rose again and descended into heaven. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war, of the war desolations are determined. So there's three scriptures that I'm just giving you here besides there are many others that speak about uh, Israel being destroyed and, and they were in 70 AD just like it was prophesied by, the, by Daniel, by Jesus and also by Paul everything and it was spoken up now i want to give you another verse because this is where we're going with this hosea hosea chapter 3 and verse 4 hosea 3 4 for the children of israel shall abide many days without a king this is speaking about them now going through this period of time you realize now that this 70 a.d happened nearly 2,000 years ago how many of you realize that this is this is the year 2023 and so it's happened nearly 2,000 or about 2,000 years ago this all happened. And it says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a, a sacrifice and without an image. None of that. Well, image meaning a, a temple or a, a building or something that would represent them. And without an ephod and without a, a, a teraphim. These are things that the... Uh, priest war and so forth look at verse 5 afterwards shall the children of israel return they're going to return now they're going to go back to israel and seek the lord their god and david their king and shall fear the lord and his goodness in the latter days the latter days now i'm jumping over here i'm still in hosea and i'm going to hosea 5 14 5 14 says, for I will be unto Ephraim, that's one of the tribes of Israel, as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. Judah was another tribe in the southern kingdom. And I, even I will tear and go away, I will take away, and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place, 
This is God speaking now. Till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face and their afflictions, they will seek me early. Now, this scripture does not stop here. It continues into chapter 6, which is the next verse, 6-1. Stay with me now. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us and hath smitten and he will bind us up. So there's a promise here that God's going to return Israel unto him. Now look at verse 2. This is where I'm going. After two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. After two days. Well, we know good well it's not 24-hour days because that happened in 70 A.D. Okay? After two days, he will revive us. The third day, I will raise him up. We shall live in his sight. Speaking of Israel, in God's sight. Then shall we know, verse 3, if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter, uh, and as the former rain upon the earth. And that's to do with the harvest being successful and their growing crops being successful and so forth. Now, uh, I just want to point this out to you here that it was spoken of a two days. One of the last scripture that I'm going to read to you here to tie these together is one found in Second Peter, and this is in verse 3 and verse 8. Look at this closely. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a, as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So when Hosea says over here in the verse 2, in 6-2, after two days he will revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. He's speaking about 2,000 years. The third day he raises up, and the third day we live in his sight. Those are not 24-hour days, but those are dispensational days, as they're called, a thousand years. Now, it's been nearly 2,000, or right at 2,000 years. Now, what are you saying, Brother Barnes? I'm saying it's time for Jesus to come back. Because whenever he revives the Jews, the church will have already ascended into heaven before he revives the Jews. In Revelations, in Revelations doesn't tell about the coming of Jesus Christ for his church. It just goes into the judgments that will follow the Lord coming back for his church. And whenever you get over into chapter 10 and 11... The Jews are brought back into favor of God and they become God's people on this earth again. But not until God is through dealing with all of us Gentiles. That's why, folks, we're almost at the end or we are at the end of this period of time that God has allowed it for the Gentiles. So it's time for the rapture to take place. Amen. So all these things are to let us know that it's getting close to that time and that it's not a time to be uh, <clears throat> to be. Uh, Lacks with God, I should say, I guess. Uh, another thought that I want to pass along to you that from last week was when I referred to the wrath of God uh, not appointed unto us, who are the, who is the church. In First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, I'm going to read this verse. And to wait for his son from heaven, that is us, we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. So all the wrath and revelations that's mentioned, we have been delivered from that. Another verse of scripture that goes along with that is in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, well, let's see here. 
I'm sorry. Got the wrong one. Is uh, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here two verses of scripture that says that he's not appointed us unto his wrath. Praise God. And so I'm just pointing out to you here that the Lord is letting us know that we are to wait, praise the Lord, and that we are to wait on God and God will take care of all things. Now, finally, the last verse I'll read is the one over in Revelation 6.17. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? So what I'm simply pointing out by scriptures here and how they fall and what they say, and the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I'm showing you that the wrath of God comes after, after the rapture of the church comes. Praise the Lord. And we don't know when the rapture of the church is. Nobody knows. And I can give you, I can give you more scriptures than you can write down where the Bible talks about no man knows the day or the hour. Sometimes you've got somebody that crops up and says, oh, he's coming in such, such a year. He's coming in such, such a month. When you hear that, go to your calendar and say, the Lord is not coming on this day or this, this month. Because nobody knows. And I've seen that all my life, all my life. When I was 17 years old, I remember driving from St. Paul to Minneapolis, seeing a big billboard, Jesus is coming in September of 1950. I think it's 52 I was up there. 1952, September, the Jesus is coming and everything. September 52 came and, and Jesus didn't come. And then there was another date up there. It, it'll be uh, April the 4th, 1953. You know, that was, and how long has that been? That's been a long time ago. This is, well, I won't get into that. I'm just saying that people have done that all through the age. So nobody knows. But the Bible does say that we can know within the Holy Ghost and the Spirit in us that it's time for the Lord. When you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up, for our redemption draweth nigh. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the rapture here. we got some handouts for you. And uh, I want you to, everybody to get one of these handouts very quickly here. And uh, there's not a, a whole lot of scripture involved here. But... Uh, when you do get that, I'm going to read some things off of this. I'm going to read some from this handout that I'm giving you here. And this is a study of the epistles, the first Thessalonians, about the rapture. This is number one about the rapture. And I'm talking to you about the rapture now. Here's what we're seeing. This is the time timeline chart that I've talked to you about a lot. And this is uh, Adam, the first man. And this is the flood that happened in Noah's time. This is Abraham here and everything. He lived 2,000 years after uh, Adam and 2,000 years before Christ. Abraham was sort of halfway in the middle. Then there was Moses. Moses lived 1,500 years before Christ and so forth. And then this Calvary here represents the coming of Christ when he came back. And in this little short span in here is his, is his earthly ministry his earthly ministry, and then he was crucified. And then he rose again and went and ascended into heaven. The church was established in Acts chapter 2, right here, chapter 1 and 2. And uh, the church was established. This seven golden candlesticks represents the seven churches of Asia, which represents the church age, entire church age. At the end of the church age, the Lord will be caught up. Now, we know it's going to be a, year, a time of about 
2,000 years because of Hosea 6-2. Because God is still has not redeemed the Jews and brought back. Now, they like the, the, the country of Israel over in Palestine likes to claim that they are that, but they are not the nation that God is going to ultimately make them. They have just gone back as Jews, not gone back as God's people yet. And so I won't go any further than that. That's a study within itself. And then at the end of this tribulation, the end of this uh, rapture, when this rapture takes, but that's going to be a tribulation period. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about, is all these judgments and these things that will happen. And, folks, when you start reading, it's scary because it talks about things coming on the earth. Now, I'm going to read some things to you in this handout that I got to you about the rapture. I'm going to point out a few things to you before I get very far into this. The word rapture, everybody with me? You got your notes? The word rapture, per se, is not found in the Bible specifically, simply rather, because at the time of its translation into English, that is the, the Bible itself, there were no single words in the English language suitable to proper for proper translations. Two words, therefore, were used, and that was the word caught up. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. If you have your Bibles and want to turn with us for, to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And it says here, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The... Uh, be here. The phrase caught up in the original Greek was one word, harpazo, and meant caught up or caught away delightfully. The King James translators simply used the phrase caught up. The reason was because there was no such word as rapture in the English language at that time. Now look at part C. The word rapture comes from the French language and means transported in ecstasy. It is more properly described harzazo in one word than that is called, than in English language at a later date and consequently not used by the translator. So you understand why they didn't say rapture. So say if you say we believe in the rapture, some guy may say, well, the word rapture is not even in the church. He's right. Okay, so yeah, I know that word caught up is in there and it represents the same thing. And so here's a D example. Example of other French words that have been added to the English language in which one may represent several words are the word banquet. That's a French word. That's not an English word. It's just come to us. Now it's become English because we use it all the time. Banquet, flower arrangement. Bouquet. I'm, I'm sorry. Bouquet, a flower arrangement. Banquet, a sumptuous feast or a ceremonial dinner. Entourage, a group of followers. And then entrepreneur. That's probably the most recent one that's come into the English language, which has been probably in the last couple of generations. One who undertakes to start and conduct a business or an enterprise. C, E, and I'm going to E here. We will therefore use the word rapture on occasion in reference to the second coming of, Christ, of the Lord. So you understand here why the word rapture is used. Now, part two Roman numeral here on your sheets. Four different aspects of the, of the rapture. Christ's return to the earth. This is a promise that we must never lose sight of. This promise is mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. It remains one of the dominant doctrines of Christianity. Here are only a few scriptures to substantiate this truth. Jesus said it. 
directly to his disciples. So I'm referring here to, uh, to John 14.3. Now, some of these scriptures we've referred to in other times and past times, but this is all tied together with the simple subject of what we call the rapture, the coming of the Lord, and the Lord coming back for his church. Look at St. John chapter 14 and verse 3. Jesus said it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. So the Lord said, if I go, I'm going to come again. So they saw him go up. Praise the Lord. And this is, uh, this is found uh, in the word here where Jesus said it. Jesus also said it in his parable. This is in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And uh, let me read that verse of scripture here. For the kingdom, 2514. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities and straightway he took his journey. And this is the Lord giving a parable of a king leaving his subjects in the hands of his people and then him leaving. And this is the way Jesus was. He gave the gospel, the gospel in the hands of his apostles and his, his people and his church. And then he ascended into heaven. Verse 19 of that same chapter there in uh, Matthew chapter 25, 25, 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. So he talks about his coming and he gives a long parable. And I won't get into the parable part of it, except to say that it was a type of Jesus giving example. So he said to himself, if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Also this, and this is mentioned in Matthew, and it's mentioned also in two of the other gospel books. I don't know whether it's Mark and Luke, probably Mark and Luke, but two of the are, are yeah, Mark and Luke. And he, so he's mentioned it also there. Now, two here, the angels said it. This is in Acts 1, Acts chapter 1, if you look there with us very quickly. Acts chapter 1. The angels said it when Jesus went out on the Mount of, of, uh, on the, on the Mount of Olives on the east side of, uh, of Jerusalem. And then he was caught up. This is in verse 9. And when they spoke these things, they beheld he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of the sight. And then verse 10. This is where we are in our notes. And, and while they be looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And if you've got your Bibles, you want to write it in there and put angels. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So these are scriptures letting us know that the Lord is coming back. Praise the Lord, and they are confirming it. Praise the Lord very definitely. The angel said it. The apostles said it. Now, I want you to look with me first, uh, first Corinthians 4, 5. First Corinthians 4, 5. We're moving on through here quick because I want to talk to you about some things. First Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, so forth. So here's a verse of scripture that just says it also in first, chapter 11 of that same same 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11 and verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread, this is communion now. This is when we receive communion. He's talking about communion in this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul writing. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Until he come. You show his death. Of course, he rose from the dead and sent into heaven till he comes. So we do it till Jesus comes. We take on. So for 2,000 years, the church has been receiving and taking communion. Isn't that wonderful? Still, praise the Lord, believing in what the scripture says and what the Bible says about the Lord. The apostles now have declared it. Now, I want you to go with me here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a very prominent uh, chapter here on the coming of the Lord. Look very closely with me. But I would not have you, this is verse 13. I'll read 13 down through 17 here. We've already read the 17th verse, but I'll read it again because it mentions the caught up factor. Verse 13. <coughs> but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them, them which are asleep. That's the ones who have died now. And remember here, Paul refers to that as sleep. Them that which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, and this is how that will happen, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up unto the Lord and shall not pre-event, that we means before them, will not pre-event them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up or raptured as we now use the word together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now this is in the word of God. If you don't have that highlighted or outlined or circled around or whatever, make sure that you make emphasis on it because it's a beautiful scripture here where Paul describes the rapture in such a plain, easy going way that nobody can Find fault with it and uh, so forth. These scriptures are but a few of many. Now I'm going to give you another handout. I'm going to go a little further down into this subject of the rapture. We're going to talk about the rapture here. This is the second handout that you're getting. Everybody still with me? All right. Praise God. Now remember, we're talking about the rapture here. The rapture. So here's the church age going to be about 2,000 years. This is the church age, and this is the coming of the Lord, and this is what we're looking at. Following that's going to be a tribulation period on the earth, and we'll be looking at scriptures concerning that in a few minutes here. Now, as soon as you get your paper there, I'm going to refer here to one that you're getting. And I'll go through this very quickly.
put that on top of the chart. That's the paper you're getting right now. I know you can't read that, but everybody got one? Everybody over here got one? All right. I'm going to start reading here in part B, the resurrection of the dead at Christ's second coming. Now, we look at another aspect of the rapture, okay? Number one, at the time of Christ, there were two well-known Jewish sects in Israel, among others, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two groups of people. And if you read the life of Christ, you read that where they are always into his life. They're always contradicting him, arguing with him, challenging him. They did not believe he was the Messiah, and they were constantly challenging Jesus, called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The primary difference between the two were their views of the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. That's what we used to teach the children when, when, we used to, when I was younger and we used to teach children. You see, the Sarah Sadducee, the way you tell them the difference is the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. Okay, I'll leave it there. So there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I want you to look with me for a moment. Just, this is not in the scriptures here, but in Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And I want to show you a verse of scripture here. 23.6, this is where Paul was drugged before the council and they were wanting to put him in prison and jail. And Paul was being accused of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and not requiring them to keep the law. So anyhow, they were all, uh, they were all up in arms. These were all Jews up in arms against Paul about it. So here's what verse 6, these were Jews that were not Christians. They were just regular Jews at that time. Chapter 23 and verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part of these Jews that were all gathered around him, perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. And Paul was a Pharisee before he became a Christian, before he got saved. I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am called in this question. And, of course, he did believe in the resurrection of the dead, believed in Jesus Christ rising from the dead. He wasn't lying. He really did. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So here's these Sadducees that were Jews who didn't really believe in angels, and yet the Bible talks about it, and how they appeared to prophets over and over and all, to, to Moses and so forth. They didn't believe that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Very extremely liberal. You even have Christianity today that's very extremely liberal, okay? They, what, they hardly believe anything in the Bible. Just, you know, just be a Christian, and they hold up the cross or whatever they do. So I'm just pointing out to you here, here's a scripture that involves the showing us the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. So this, number one I'm reading here, says the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees didn't. This divided opinion still exists today in both Judaism and in Christianity. 
There's a lot of people that don't believe in the resurrection even today in Christianity, not in apostolic movement, but in Christianity as a general, the liberals. But what does the Bible teach and what does Christians believe today? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about the resurrection here. So I want you to notice here in verse 12, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Go to this chapter with me if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 12. Everybody with me? Okay. Just on the board. You don't need to see it here. We're still talking about the timeline there. Jesus, the rapture of the church. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen because Christ rose from the dead. And if Christ be not risen... Then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. So there were some of these Christians that began to lean in that direction, that early church. That's what Paul's writing to them about. For the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Verse 16, look at verse 20. Saving time here by skipping a few verses. But now is Christ risen from the dead, verse 20, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Christ was the first. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. And that's us. And we're the words. So Jesus is the firstfruits and we're the ones that's going to be the next in the resurrection time there. So we're giving you scriptures here concerning these verses here that tells us that we are to walk with God and believe the Lord. Uh, I'm going to finish up reading here. Here Paul challenges those who argue the resurrection is impossible. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? Paul then proceeds to answer it with the common, I'm reading from my notes here now, illustration of planting is seed and growing out of the earth growing out of the earth. And he goes a little bit further here in talking about these things. Uh, Let me uh, mention to you here that the scriptures here tell us so much about the coming of the Lord. All right, let me go back here. Now, I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to look with me here in in verse 35. This is how Paul explains the resurrection. Everybody with me? But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36 is Paul writing here. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. In other words, you sow a piece of corn. You sow a piece of wheat or a piece of barley or whatever it is. You sow bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it pleaseth him. So what he's pointing out here is that the Lord 
gives it a body that's different than the one that's sown. Look over in verse 42. I'm still here in 15 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Just like a, a grain of corn, is, a little grain is put in the ground, but when it comes forth out of the ground, it's a stalk with leaves and ears of corn on it. You understand what I'm saying? He's saying that it comes forth different than what you put in the ground. It doesn't come forth a big grain of corn, big old piece of corn that looks like this. It comes as a stalk. And every seed comes forth like that. It comes forth a different thing. So he says there's the resurrection. We die one body, we come forth a different body. So he explains it in that fashion. Verse 42, and then he locks on to all that by saying this. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Jumping down to verse 42. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, in the scripture 49, I mean, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Praise the Lord. And so Paul here is talking here about uh, the resurrection in this sense of the word and how God is using it. So our bodies then uh, are, is life on that. I'm going to go to, to, we've got just a few minutes. I got another handout for you. You ready for it? All right. Another handout here real quick. I know we're running short here. We only got about seven or eight minutes. I'm going to get through this real quick here. talked about here in this handout that you're getting that the Lord said we'll be caught up and uh, I'm going to emphasize here what kind of body we'll have and what the Bible says about that what kind of body we will have praise God and we are made up of body soul and spirit remember that 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says that we're made of a body, soul, and spirit. Praise the Lord. And when we die, our body dies. Our soul and spirit doesn't die. Spirit never dies. The soul is the, is the you. Your soul is your person, your, your individuality. Your spirit is the life in your person. And the spirit is always with the soul, gives it life. And then the body, of course, on this earth, we have a body. All right. It's an age-old question. What will the rapture be like? We'll be caught up. We already talked about that. We simply... What kind of body will we have? The, body, the Bible says here, and I'm in number two, what kind of body will we have? It does not yet appear what kind we know, but we shall be like him. And I'm going to read some verses to you here. I'm going to read this very quickly here. 
When Jesus ascended into heaven following his resurrection, he was glorified. After that, he appeared. His appearance was always very illuminating and bright. For instance, Paul, on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians, saw Jesus, and he was brighter than the noonday sun. I'm in about the middle of the page here. Number two, John on the Isle of Patmos, when he saw me, fell at his feet as a dead man. The illumination appearance of Jesus was because he was glory, had a glorified body. The same kind of body we're going to receive when the rapture takes place. That's the kind we're going to have. We shall be like him. Now, Paul speaks more on this. Look at Philippians 3.21. I have 31 in your notes, but it should be 21. Philippians 3.21. There is no 31. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? So whatever kind of body he'll have is how God is going to give us a body, glorious body. Who shall change our body? How fast will it be in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Praise God. Well, I don't know where it is. Moment of twinkling of an eye. Why? Hang on a sec, folks. There we go. Sorry, I can't read that verse. Tearing up my Bible. Tearing up my Bible here, trying to. Anyhow, the Bible says here, the fifteen fifty-two. This is that in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up instantly. Now, go to number four. What will the effect on be on the world? Look at this closely. I'm going to close out now with this. Everybody with me? Don't don't lose me on this. What will be the effect of the world on the world when the rapture takes place? A, every apostolic church in the world will be packed out immediately following the rapture. You can count on it. How do I know that, Brother Myers? Is there a scripture about it? No. But I just believe it will be that way. Backsliders and family members of saints and others who know the truth but had failed to do anything about it will lead the way to altars of repentance. But it would be it would do no good. It'll be too late. The opportunity to be saved will have all forever been lost. They must then go through the great tribulation spoken of in the book of Revelation in which the manner of judgment will come upon the earth. Unbelievable wars. We're already starting to see some of those things come to pass. Earthquakes. We're starting to see some of that come to pass. Tidal waves, we've seen some, but there's going to be more. Volcano eruptions, there's going to be more of that. Pestilence, famines, and meteorite bombardment from the heavens above await them. In just a few short years, one half of the world population, and this is found in Scripture, 
of the world will die. Revelation 6, 8, see Revelation 6, 8, and Revelations 9, 15, and 18. It talks about here, it says one-fourth of the world population will die. And then it says another place, one-third. So if you've got one-fourth, you leave three-fourths. And then if one-third of the three-fourths die, it leaves one-half. So by the time you get to chapter 9 in the book of Revelation, half the world population is dying. So with all the things coming on the earth and all the craziness going on and everything, God is letting us know that it's time for his coming. I just want to say this to all of us here today. Don't play around with God if you are. Be serious with the Lord. Draw close to God. Know the Lord with all your heart. Folks, this is in the book. Jesus is coming. And if he said he was, he is. Let's stand together and give him praise and thanks here this morning for his goodness and his many blessings upon us. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and blessings. We glorify your name today. Thank you for your your people. Thank you for this audience. Thank you for our classes, Lord, in session. We ask you to be with us, Lord, this morning and also tonight in our evening service. We ask you to bless your people, bless the word, bless your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.